0: Welcome to the Transient Identity Podcast. This is your host, Albert Thompson, where we obsess over everything consumer. I'm going to give you an excerpt from the DigiDay Media Buying Summit on planning in crisis and sort of where we stand. So enjoy the clip. Uh, absolutely. First, thank you for having me and welcome, everyone. Um, I used to give people the analogy that it's like, we're all firefighters planning now in the sense that you always see firefighters running drills, going to empty firehouses, no fire, essentially. So a lot of our planning is very much about what could happen in essence, even if it never does. And I think clients sort of learn post COVID that when they started to look at what they were locked into that that was no longer favorable. And particularly when you talk about clients that had upfront buys stadium sponsorships, very indicative of you know our largest automotive client and you start to realize that they needed to have greater flexibility, adaptability, and they needed to be able to move impressions at will. So a lot of the pivots we made, like moving things out of linear TV into CTV, moving out of terrestrial radio because nobody was driving, putting in a digital audio, Uh, the notion that stadium contracts couldn't be locked in for three years, that there needs to be out clause, provision clause, pause clauses. So we really got into this sort of scenario-based cadence that really allowed and built-in flexibility to make pivots and changes really on a dime so you know no different this year with everything that's happened between the russia and ukraine we had to pivot out and around news um, so i think we've already based on the lessons learned already knew we needed to be ready to move and already needed to think through where would dollars go what would come to a ground hall what would just shift to another channel which would come out of a offline equivalent to a digital equivalent Um, so we could be sort of operationalized, ready. I think the other thing is looking at the difference in physical movement. In particular, COVID kind of taught the lessons around people not moving to retail in what those business pivots need to be. So again, I think there was so much that transpired between things that were outside of the control. And if you have an auto client, you're dealing with chip issues now, where you have to start to look at what sort of pivots can you make in real time And people always talk about this notion of real-time marketing, but it never really existed. But now everything has to be sort of on real-time pivots just in case those things do come
1: up. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've obviously talked a lot about flexibility, especially when it comes to different channels. Um, Do you think we're still moving as fast as we initially came to be when the pandemic
0: first hit? Great question. No one moves at the speed of the consumer, because if that were the case, everyone would have mastered TikTok by now. And instead, people are still fumbling around in the dark. I mean, I think there are people still trying to master YouTube and how old is YouTube more than a decade. So I think that's the notion is, can you keep pace with the speed of the consumer? I mean, I think we've gotten a lot faster, um, but not to that degree of speed. But it, look, it's a great evolution. It was very necessary. I think from a buying planet capacity, people get sort of locked in. It's very normalized, get very comfortable buying the same things in a rinse and repeat over and over again. Uh, and some of those conventions just need to be broken. As I said, the window dressing on a lot of things that were being purchased came off during COVID because you start to realize, okay, these things don't drive revenue return. Uh, they're not even building the type of brand equity. They were very comfortable. I always make the statements that too many people in this business are in the B2B business. Agencies buying from media partners, forgetting about a consumer who actually has to buy what the brand makes. So I always use this term, we're in the b to b to c business. You know, the people in the channel are merely uh, conduits vessels to get to an end consumer, but brands make stuff to sell, they don't make TV shows, so don't think they, they don't really care about your upfront, they, they're just being very nice. Uh, they don't care about your channel acumen. they don't care about your tech stack. The CMO needs to sell more product to a consumer who buys it retail, whether online or offline. And I think that pursuit has gotten a little bit stronger that at least there had been a reorientation around the consumer mindset with consumers doing path of purchase decision-making model and less of, well, I'm spending money with my favorite media entity because they take me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my background, I'm, I'm more of a marketer even though I've been a digital buyer for two decades, but I think that's what was necessary. I think if the pivot continues to be more around the notion of the obsession with the consumer, then we will get faster because they run at a very different pace.
1: Uh, that being said, and as Michael mentioned, you know, we're very thankful for our sponsors here today. Um, but tell us a little bit about your philosophy on news and what that looks like, especially given how fast the news cycle moves.
0: Um, love this question because I think in the early days of buying, news was always the shiny trophy because it had the most attention or had the most uh, highest level of viewership. So if you're a media entity, people look, like, oh, you got to be around the news. It gets the highest ratings. Ratings don't equal revenue, by the way, for a brand who sells a car or bag of potato chips. It's ratings. So when I looked at them, I'm like, okay, that's great. And for certain categories you're in, news makes absolute sense. And I used to work at a global public affairs firm. So as you can imagine, everything we oriented from a messaging standpoint was around news. Uh, but when you start to look at other categories, their consumption pattern happens outside of news. I mean, if you look at the news now, a lot of it's rather depressing because they go from the murder report to we're saving babies today in five minutes, and that's a little bit polarized. It's kind of like watching Lifetime. So when you start to look at it, you start to say, okay, to what degree does news orientation really solve the consumer decision-making pathway? Is it on the pathway? Uh, You know, for our our Lexus client, news is not really on the pathway of buying a $40,000 luxury vehicle. I'm not saying it's not an opportunity for exposure. I'm saying that's not how people make car choices. So news in a KBB, Edmunds, Cars.com, yes, makes total sense, even a motor trend. Uh, but in a news as, here's the weather for today, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I think when you have to start look at it, you have to start look at any content, subject matter, any vertical, doesn't align with how people make decisions around that category, and sometimes that's just not the case. So I understand why when we would buy cross-media the properties, they're talking about, hey, you've got to be around sports, be around this, and they would always say, yeah, but news is number one. And I think what news has now become, people have gotten smarter that the pathway of consumer decision doesn't necessarily all funnel through news. Mm -hmm. Granted, it funnels through information, but it doesn't necessarily mean news. So I think that's what the recalibration that was needed. I think the other thing is you see platforms like Facebook where a lot of the ads are in around news feeds, but there's a lot of stuff there. Mm -hmm. So the biggest pivot we've made with the Russia-Ukraine has really been the social media spectrum where news ends up being sort of a light and rot just information and sometimes misinformation. And then that's not necessarily a brand safe space. So I think the biggest pivot is how safe is news from a brand safety perspective versus what it used to be years ago because of what is now funneled through news. So I think there just has to be some diligence done, not only the agency side, but the brand planning side on what news and how it's going to play into the ecosystem of content funnel and content consumption as it pertains to people making as I say, purchase decisions. And I think that's what needs to be sort of reassessed. Yeah.
1: You have said that that philosophy was your philosophy pre-pandemic. So do you feel now like clients are coming to you with different questions that you feel um, you know, now has moved the needle further? I mean, why do you think you've seen that shift?
0: You know, I think it's one of those old habits, sort of die hard. So, I mean, I think news as vertical had, had been at its prominence for probably decades. Now it's gaming. You know, soon it's going to be the metaverse. These are very, very different environments. You know, much more intimate, a lot more dynamic, and they're a little bit more verticalized around the actual category, let's say, for which you sell and make your products in. Um, So I think that it made people sort of open their eyes to what is really out there and get rid of their biases. And again, I think the other thing is focusing on news is a B2B focal point, meaning a media entity is telling you this is our best interest area for you to be advertising moving into other verticals is now a consumer first well but the consumer lives over here when they actually make choices Mm -hmm. um so i think the the notion of the attention stack when it sort of came to ferrari and i think the the iab first put out a report on it started looking what is garnering our attention well most of that is social media in nature so TikTok, Snap, youtube facebook instagram reels uh gaming is another one and then they looked at depth of attention meaning time spent and what you find is time spent and level of affinity and intimacy. And I use a lot of this word intimacy because we do a lot of multicultural, you start to look at, well, how how intimate are we individually with our news unless it's on a very local level uh, versus where we are in some of the other channels that we can essentially play in. So I think once the attention stack started to steal emphasis, then brands realized that they needed to put product and advertising around channels and verticals where there was proper attention and time in against the category for which they were advertised on. And again, that was very much a reset. But look, I would work alongside people who had more TV buying backgrounds and they would always emphasize news. And I I wasn't of the same school of thought because I'm more about what does the consumer pathway look like? Does it all funnel through news regardless of the category? Not really. I understand why the business they were in and why they were selling it to us. I just didn't understand why we were making uh, consumption decisions related to how we were going to move more product out of retail based upon news being the North Star. I think the North Star is what the consumer is telling you because they're the only ones guaranteed to win. We, we could all lose here. Mm-hmm. But the consumer who gets to make the choice and define the rules of engagement is the one who's guaranteed to win because they're setting the rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. And I think news doesn't really set the rules of engagement. They help shape-shift how we see the world around us, whether we feel the environment is safe or dangerous. But when you start talking about decision-making between beauty uh, through childcare, through toys. The news doesn't, doesn't own all this. Mm-hmm. So you have to really get into well, who's moving the narrative. I always talk about points of influence. In any category, any, any, any product lives in a market conversation. There are people talking about the product. You have to discover where the market conversation is related to a topic. And that's likely where you need to spend your advertising, indifferent to news or not.
1: Mm-hmm. So, if your consumer, I mean, should and have always should have been the north star, um, what are those
0: consumers telling you now about where you should be and where you should go? Uh, the the purchase funnel is very convoluted. Um, you know, a better word to say it, it's been jacked up since COVID. Um, it's and it's a hybrid model between: is it more direct to the consumer? Are they starting in the physical world and go buy online, research online, go buy in the physical world? Are they researching online? going in physical world to demo. To go back online to buy. It? I mean, it's really a mixed bag. I mean, so there are a series of data signals that just need to be wired up on any given campaign to really collectively understand. I mean, a lot of the targeting we do is search enhanced. So we identify people who have searched for the product or category or competitor first, and those are the people we want to target. It Doesn't matter if it's mobile display, CTV, digital audio. Uh, We're also looking to see our people signaling, meaning are they in social talking about the product or category because if they're not talking about it, how real is it? And that's just basically diving into the notion of word of mouth to figure out, okay, is this a thing? Like, are they identifying with it? Um, So I think the level of sophistication that could have been exercised years ago is starting to come into play because the, the path to purchase before COVID, that's gone. It's like saying your old pixel tags in 2019, they're obsolete. need to scrub that data, re-implement them, and look at what people are doing essentially right now. And I think that's a lot of what's happening. Most of the old data doesn't just, it's not relevant anymore because people are making decisions differently. You know, the move to retail is that, are they going inside? Are they doing curbside? Or are they just going in and look at it and they're going to leave and now they're going to buy it online. I mean, before you went into retail to do one thing. Now you can go to retail and do four different things. So that notion around consumer behavior is a lot to unpack. And I think that's the, the, the distinction that people need to make in the buying capacity is like you can't just buy for the sake of buying. You're going to have to understand how all the touch points are working. I think one of the things I talked about is this notion of omnichannel. And it's like, it's not necessarily omnichannel for everyone. It's what channels matter based upon what you're selling and how each of the channels moves someone to a point of consideration for what you're selling or not. So it may be one channel for you. It may be eight channels for you. And I think, so that's the scenario plan it now needs to come into media buying, is understanding the channels, roles, and responsibilities, what they can accomplish and what they absolutely will never accomplish.
1: We have talked before a lot about, the mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote defined pivots, you talked to your clients about. Well. Um, how does that fit into that perspective too, um, and, and what have those defined pivots looked like?
0: Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's some hardwired pivots that will probably never change, I meaning the greater emphasis on CTV versus linear because of the level of measurability, trackability, and the hyper level that's targeting, meaning you to a linear partner, they want to sell you sports and news, you go to CTV, you can buy the consumer. And I don't know a CMO who doesn't want to buy the consumer. They don't really want to buy your news, they want to buy the consumer. They just want to reemphasize that. So I think those pivots, the notion that terrestrial radio has a role, but we had clients say, why would we target around some of this stuff if, our consumer's not driving as much as they used to, meaning there's no drive time wearing, so we should go to digital audio because people stream all day, whether they're in the car or at home. So those pivots I think have uh, definitely happened. I think when I start to look at social being the foundation now, particularly if you're targeting millennial Gen Z, social used to be a nice to have. You do some things sort of stunty. Now it's literally the foundation if you're speaking to someone who's a millennial Gen Z, period. If you're spending money over the top, you're missing the mark and there's media waste. Uh, I think the notion of influencer marketing isn't so. It isn't a fringe tactic. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna hire these creators over here. It's a separate agency. Uh, it has separate initiatives. Influencer marketing, talent management. And if you look, if you're using a major celebrity, you put them at the core of your marketing initiative. They're not on the fringes. Nobody puts Britney Spears on the fringes. Everything hinges around Britney Spears that she's representing the brand. Same thing with Michael Jackson. They're gonna do the same thing with influencers. Got to sit in the core. We need to tie them to everything we do in brand entertainment, events, appearances, et cetera. I mean, that's what you do when you go get talent who can move the business. So I think you're going to just see that there's some of a reset in which all these isolated notions now become the part of the core of the core from a marketing standpoint because historically speaking, those things were always at the core. Maybe not in a digital context, but in a business context, they were always at the core. So. Those, those are the things that I see submitted that are gonna last. I think all the other pivots, really around planning and getting scenarios, really getting back to that notion of adaptability. That if something happens, we can move money out of news because of what's going on and what's tracking in terms of content and move it over here, and we can do it at speed. Mm-hmm. So I think people are ready. And look, we've had clients say, we need to see a plan B and C. We're gonna green light plan A, but if something goes sideways, we need to have B and C already ready. And my boss needs to know what we're already going to do so that I'm not freaking out with anxiety when something does happen, trying to say, OK, I got to talk to the agency or the media right, and figure it out. Like, no, here, here it is. We already gave it to you. So I think that's the, 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 the other thing, the other sort of pathway around what's going to change.
1: I love that you say the word anxiety, because I imagine that for everyone in this room, a big part of your job is managing those anxieties, particularly when it comes to multi-planning and crisis planning. Um, so you know, what current questions do your clients have um, and, and what are they nervous about? What are they
0: anxious about? I think one of the biggest common ones is what if a surge of COVID came back? What are we gonna do? Like, We do a lot of uh, experiential advertising for a, a series of our clients. And I think the biggest concern is what if the turnout is low? Because there was a surge in that particular DMA right before it happened. So what we've done is added live streaming to a component. Uh, we're actually gonna support um, with Lex's uh, Gay Polo League in south florida uh this weekend and that was the first question question that came up i said well what we're going to do is we'll go get a twitch a queer twitch streamer they'll come to gay polo and we'll actually have a live component of it and they'll cover a polo and then we'll actually look at possibly live streaming the entire event that way if the attendance is you know only 25 percent of what it was pre-covid we've got exponential reach through live and then the anxiety goes away they're like well we're you know live we can reach an exponential 300,000.'" and 300,000 people could never attend. I think the most that they're out of is maybe 5,000. So when we start doing things like that, the alleviation of anxiety is that we've already started to move to the next place of how we're gonna create incremental value for a nominal amount of money. So I think for us, it's even less of waiting. It's like, let's just go ahead and build in the safety net around planning so that regardless of what happens, it's still a win and we're still gonna essentially over deliver. And that's part of those conversations that have come up in a sense of, okay, Something could happen. What's the move in real time? And what we already do is plan it out. And what we just ask is, look, we want to just go ahead and fund this and get this done because this is what we should be doing anyways. This is the next evolution. And they're like, well, yes, let's absolutely do that. We did a program uh, tying one of our spending video partners around South by Southwest. And the conversation was, well, we don't know if we want to activate because we don't know what the attendance is going to look like. We're like, well, we'll just have our partner capture content from all the footage, and we'll create a custom video, and then we'll use that as an asset and then that way you didn't miss a year of it, but you've now covered it as a partnership around the story. And then we just built it into a, a, a CPD Dubai as an extension of that, and then boom, we were done. So that's sort of where we're at. We're already anticipating something could go sideways and then adding in those additional elements to the overall program, so it's already robust. But that's what we would have been doing in the next year anyway, and I think that's pulling it forward about okay, what would the twenty twenty three plan look like? Okay, let's just do it today. Mm-hmm. So that in twenty twenty three we already know what the precedent is is the year to be And then clients, they don't worry about it. It's like it's it's just a shift that's been made with the dollars and focus of the program, not of well what are we going to do and let's figure it out. Like we are already just gonna go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds
1: like I should have asked you how you manage your own anxiety about <laughs> all that planning, but maybe I'll say it for backstage. Um, And I wish I could throw it to the room with questions, but I hogged all the time, so I'm really sorry. But Albert, thank you so much for your time here today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. welcome. Thank you. On that note, I'd love to